For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. God, you may be seated. Okay, well, we're starting a new series uh, today called Money Matters. Um, and I intentionally didn't promote this because last week we finished up our, our Revelation sermon series. We went few, we were four or five months in the book of Revelation. Um, and I didn't promote this because I determined it was too risky. Uh, it's too risky because if I, if I was convinced that if I were to tell you, uh, it would be even more tempting to stay in your bed this morning and say, you know what? Uh, that's a topic that I just, you know, I don't really want to partake in this morning. And I've realized that, that you're not alone, right? Because most people, they tend to get a little skittish, a little nervous when the F word gets mentioned, right? You know what I'm talking about? Finances, right? People get pretty skittish. And, and it's for a myriad of reasons. It could be the views that have been cultivated based upon your socioeconomic status, um, a lot of us, our upbringing has a lot to do with the way that we look at money, either in a positive or in a negative way. Um, and what happens, I feel like this is one of those topics. Now, as our culture progresses, we talk more and more about politics. I feel like more and more we can talk about religion. It's like there's one topic that's sort of tucked away that is deemed too personal, and it's the topic of money. Uh, for a lot of us, to talk about money feels threatening, uh, because what, what's happened with, with the relationship that we've adopted with money is that money has become a, a source of, of significance in our life. It it's offers us security and comfort. And so to even talk about it seems like we are threatening that little bubble that's going on that we have with money. Or uh, it's not uncommon that when it comes to talking about money inside of a church, people have had a negative experience. Think about it. There's a lot of televangelists. There's a lot of churches that have really skewed theology. Um, they, they don't actually have orthodox belief about what the Bible teaches when it comes to wealth and possessions and, and what to value. And so there's been churches that have veered on the brink of prosperity gospel, this false gospel that if you give to God, he's going to bless you with health and wealth and all of the fixings to make your life just beautiful and hashtag blessed. Right, that, that, that's, that's not the case, especially if you read the New Testament and look how life was like for the apostles who followed Jesus. It was not hashtag blessed. Right? It was suffering for the sake of Jesus. And so there's churches that get this twisted, or there are churches that we've experienced in our past that, that are always talking about money. It's like every three weeks it pops up like, like we got to talk about money. It's either because we've got a building campaign or we've got some sort of what seems to be some sort of frivolous, uh, you know, way to spend our money to, to upgrade technology or whatever, this and that and that. And so it just seems sort of burdensome to hear churches always talk about money. Or maybe churches talk about money okay or, you know, it, it's, it's pretty close to okay but no matter how they talked about money, it's always invoked a lot of guilt in you. You know, it's like, oh, man, 
they're going to talk about money again. And I know I don't do it right. And so you just have this, this feeling of, man, I, I really dread this topic. Now, I hope that you've had a different experience here at Sacred City. In fact, we, yeah, I, I, it makes me nervous to talk about money. Right? They're, they're, this is just as uncomfortable for me as it is for you. And I personally am moving into this sermon series a little bit reluctantly myself because my fear is that in talking about money, I'm going to run somebody off. Right? In saying and teaching what Scripture talks, how Scripture talks about money, I'm going to put a stumbling block before somebody that's going to prevent them from trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so if there's one mistake that we've made in the, the history of Sacred City is probably not to talk about money enough, at least not in a biblical way. And I want to assure you that as we move into this Money Matters series, this isn't a veiled attempt to manipulate, to give, manipulate you into giving more. That's not what this is. I, I know it might seem like that. We've got a couple of big financial goals set out before us for this year, right? We've got, we're trying to raise $30,000 by May. Uh, we're hoping to become a self-sustaining church by the end of, of this year, right? So there are big financial goals that we're striving for, but, but the goal of this, the purpose of this sermon series isn't to achieve those goals. It's actually a bigger, got a, got a, got a bigger vision for us here in this series. And you might be wondering, why? Why do we talk about worldly stuff like money? Right? Why would we talk about money if it's such a worldly thing in church, especially if we have such a limited amount of time? Right? We only have so many Sundays throughout the year. We only have about an hour. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to work, work that back, guys. We're working with me here. We have a, such a limited amount of time that shouldn't we be talking about something more spiritual? But that's a danger in thinking when it comes to money. We don't realize how interconnected our spiritual life is to our finances. See, how you handle money might be the best indicator of your spiritual health. You realize that? That, that that's a shocking statement. And I, I'm not just saying that on, on based on my own opinion here. You can fact check that with the 2,350 some verses the Bible uses to speak about money. You're, over 2,000 verses in the Bible speak about money. You can go and you can proof check that with Jesus. His number one topic throughout his ministry was the topic of money. That means that if you want to bypass what Jesus has to say about money, it means that you have to cut out 15% of his recorded words. 15% of his recorded words to bypass the subject of money. Now the question that lingers here is why would a poor, homeless man like Jesus be so concerned about other people's money? Now, Randy Alcorn gives us a helpful insight here. He says, there is a powerful relationship between our true spiritual condition and our attitude and actions concerning money and possessions. What he's saying here is money is inextricably linked to our heart. 
and because your heart matters to Jesus, so does your wallet. See, money matters. Money matters to us. Money matters to Jesus. And God doesn't talk about money because he needs you to bankroll the church. God's not, oh man, how am I gonna, I've got this big mission, I've got this big vision to renew the whole earth. How how am I ever gonna find the resources to do that? You know what, I'll get get a bunch of suckers to start giving me 10% of their income. That's not what God's doing. He he, He doesn't need that from us. And it was obvious that in Jesus' life, he wasn't personally concerned with amassing money for himself, right? He was homeless and poor. The reason why Jesus talks about money, why God speaks about money so frequently in the scriptures, is not for his own sake. I mean, it is is for his glory. But the reason Jesus talks about money is for your benefit. See, that's what this series is about, really. When you, when you get to the heart of it, this series is about how God's money best helps us. It's not about how, how my money helps God. It's how, how God's money best helps us. Now, but t- depending on where you're coming from, that statement might seem kind of backward, a little off-putting. For, for maybe a couple different reasons, depending on what angle you're coming from. For some of you, it's like the first part of that statement. God's money? What, what do you mean, God's money? That, 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 that's my money, right? That's, that's my name, my social security account or number, and then my uh, bank account number right next to it. That, that's, that's, that's all mine. I worked hard for that. So that's maybe one piece of pushback. The other piece of pushback is like, what do you mean using God's money to best help me? That that sounds kind of selfish, right? To best help me? Self-serving. But when you look at Matthew chapter six here, right where Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount, which, by the way, is the most popular sermon of all time. And so if you've got a problem with, with sermons that talk about money, you need to take it up with Jesus. When you hold what Jesus is teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount in tension, you see that this statement, that it's God's money best, used best to help us. This statement really holds that all in tension, what he's teaching here. Now, the first piece of understanding uh, our, our relationship with money and possessions is basically that first uh, pushback that it's all God's. Deuteronomy ten fourteen says, "Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of the heavens, the earth and all that's in it." The psalmist in Psalm eighty nine eleven says this about God: "The heavens are yours." The earth also is yours, the world and all that's in it. You have founded them. So what that tells us, that everything is God's, that in no way, shape, or form is God needy, is he lacking, or financially deficient. See, if we were to look at God's checks and balances or what his statements are like, God is always in the black. In fact, there's nothing that God can spend money on that he doesn't already own. 
Abraham Kuyper has this quote, is great. He says, there's not a square, one square inch in all of creation where the Lord Jesus doesn't look at and say, mine. That means galaxies, livestock, buildings, businesses, humanity, treasures and fortunes, the lands, the seas, your house, your car, your spouse, your kids, your pet, your bank account, all the money you got in your wallet, your body. It is all God's. And it's on loan to you right now. Like I said, this is where a lot of the pushback comes, right? It's, it's mine. I, I earned all this stuff. Right? And in some ways, yes. Right? Unless you inherited everything you have on a silver platter, yeah, you probably worked for some of the stuff that you have. You had to study, you had to work and grind it out, you had to make wise decisions, you had to exert the energy. Right? You, you had to work for some of this. And I don't mean to downplay the things that you've worked hard for and that you've accomplished by your own means, but, but let me just pull back for a minute and say, where do you think those capacities, those abilities came from that allowed you to acquire money in the first place? Did, did you muster up your IQ? Right? Did, did, did you make yourself financially savvy or even have the capacity to want to be financially savvy? Did you make yourself physically able? Did you create every single opportunity and the answer for that is if you look no, look back, it's like, no. No, no, no. All of that stuff originates with God. Think about it. Your work ethic. Now, now that's a hard thing because people think, oh, you know, I've worked hard to create a, a strong work ethic. Where do you think the capacity came from for you to do that in the first place? Think about when and where and to whom you were born. Every ability, every opportunity, every insight was given to us by God. Now, this is usually the first hurdle for people to get past in order to think biblically about money. Because here in this conversation, this is where you tend to get protective and defensive about your money and your stuff. And when you sense that, that defensiveness, the, the protective nature, it, it, it's revealing the condition of your heart. See, that, that's, that's pride that's puffing up. See, it's showing what you really believe to be true about God and yourself. It, it's this idea that I did it, I earned it, it's mine, it's for me. And when you think like that, you're thinking unbiblically. You're thinking like an owner. This is mine. It be belongs to me. And, and that's one way to navigate life, right? To, to think of life being an owner. But what you'll find is that it is exhausting to live like that. You constantly have this paranoia that's running around in the back of your mind about your stuff, your assets. It seems like your, your sanity and security ebb and flow based upon your investment profitability. 
And when you're so focused on things and money and, and, and what you've accumulated in life, it makes it really hard to focus and care for other people because we're always concerned about what it costs us. We're worried about what they're going to use. What, what do they want from us? What are they going to damage? Right, what, what, what kind of... The furniture in my house, are they going to ruin it? Are they going to steal something? And so we, we, we develop this protective mechanism that, that keeps us more focused and gravitate more toward our things than, than caring for people, flesh and blood that's before us. Now, if you want to have a healthy relationship, right? If you, if you want to shed the mentality of living like an owner, we have to adopt a biblical worldview about our things and possessions. The Apostle Paul talks to the Corinthian church in, in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? Think about that. I mean, I get blown away by this all the time. When I look at my house, when I look at the things that I have in my house, it's like there's not a single thing that I didn't receive. That, that God didn't give me either, either capacity to, to work hard to get those things or just a generous gift that had fallen f- right there in my lap. And, and then the Apostle Paul says, right, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if that's the case, how can you possibly boast? See, if you, can, if you understand the grace of life, if you understand the givenness of life, that everything comes from the hand of God, two things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to be more grateful. You're just going to, God, thank you. Thank you for the things that you've put in my life. It's far better than what I deserve. But the second thing that happens is there's, there's a, a mindset shift that takes place. You move from being an owner, having an owner mentality, to adopting a steward mentality. Now, the the language of steward is is like churchy language. We don't really hear that outside of the church very often. And and in a lot of ways, it's sort of been kind of cheesied up. Um, But it's a biblical word. It's actually the word that that Paul uses in in that passage in Corinthians. And, And this idea of stewardship is central to what Jesus teaches us about money. Now, one of the most famous places where Jesus teaches us about stewardship is in Matthew chapter 25, where he tells the parable of the talents. And when I say the parable of talents, I'm not talking about like baton twirling here. That's not the kind of talent I'm talking about. Uh, A talent was an ancient form of currency, And so Jesus is telling this this story about a wealthy man who leaves town. And on his way to town, he he takes uh, some of his wealth and he divvies it up to his servants based upon their ability. One servant gets five talents, the other three, the other one. Uh, And he says to them, in his absence, he wants them to care for and improve on the assets that have been entrusted to them. And so he goes away. Uh, it leaves for a period of time, and, and, and upon his return, he says, all right, guys, what, what have you done with the money that I gave you? You know, guy comes back, well, I, I, you gave me five, and here I, I've doubled it, now I, here's 10 for you. You know, great. Guy with three says, hey, I, I, you gave me three, now here's three more, now I've got six to give back to you. 
says, great. The servant who was given one, said, well, you know, you gave me one. I didn't want to lose it, so I just, and I, I dug a hole and I put it in there, and so here, here's your one back. Now, now the response that this master has to his different servants is very revealing. He's, if they were to care for his money wisely and improve upon his own portfolio, those servants, those stewards, were affirmed and rewarded. He would say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Right, what a blessing. What, what an affirmation. Well done. You've been faithful with, letter, with little. I'll set you responsible over much. Enter the joy of your master. But, but for the, the servant who failed to invest wisely, who squandered it or, or who hid it. He had a very different response. He, he didn't say, hey, good job, you, you played it safe. No, the servant or the, the master came and said, no, 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 you, you lazy steward. G- give me the money that I gave you back. I'm, I'm going to take that away from you. And then instead of a blessing of, well done, I'll set you f- over much and enjoy the, the joy of your master, he says to this lazy servant, he says, man, the place for you is outside of my house. And I, he uses pretty strong language. He says, I'm gonna, you deserve to be cast out into utter darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes. See, this parable, Jesus is showing us what our relationship what not, with money should be like. Not, not owners, but stewards. Seeing just like the master gave to his servants, here, I'm, I'm entrusting you with this much based on your ability. It, it's God's resources that are entrusted to us, that are to be used for his net gain. And that's not just true about our liquid assets. It's not just true about money. It's true about our homes, our, our, our vehicles, our skills, our intellect, the different gifts God has given us. They're, they're like talents that have been given, and God's saying, hey, I want to see what you can do with this. I want to see how you can steward this and use this in a way that leads to net gain. And so as stewards, we realize this isn't my money. This is God's money. And God has given me this money to strive to diversify his portfolio. Now, if that's what God wants us to do as stewards, the question should be then, where do we invest in order to get the best returns? Right, because that, that's, that's the question here. It's like, that's what, the difference between the, the first two servants and, and the third servants. The first two found a good place to invest and they saw good returns. The third servant just buried it. Right, so, so what do we do with our money? And that's precisely where Jesus gives us great insight on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six. He, he tells us there are essentially two places. There, there are two treasuries in which you can invest. There's a treasury on earth 
where there's a treasury in heaven. Take a look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. We'll have it up on the screen for you. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, the way Jesus is framing this up here as, we're, as we make our way through this passage, he says, if you're going to invest your money in earth on, on things that are pertaining to our life here on earth, this is a high-risk, low-reward investment. Right? If you're going to analyze how you spend your money or what you're investing, this is a high-risk, low-reward. Here's, here's the high risk. He says, both moth and rust and thieves can destroy this. And the reality is he could keep going, right? It's not just limited to moths and rust and thieves. Your assets can be seized by Uncle Sam. The stock market, which you invested your money in, can crash. Clumsy drivers can run into your car and damage it. You've got fires and floods and tornadoes, and there's an endless amount of threats in which could come and take, dwindle even your money. Now, the, the misconception here is, is that, oh, well, Christians are supposed to, to live this meager, shoestring, budget sort of life then. But that, that's not the biblical view of money. To, to, to be a Christian means that we see all of what we have as a gift from God meant to enjoy and enjoying these things. We honor God so that does not mean we need to liquidate our belongings to disperse our assets. We need to sell our nice clothes and not save any money. That's not what, what Jesus is teaching here. He's not teaching asceticism, which is to, to, to be super self-denying, right? to, to, to rid yourself of any pleasure, of any luxury, of any, anything that seems frivolous to, to any degree in order to gain piety. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. See, Jesus is talking about our investment opportunities. He, he, he's contrasting the possibilities here, the different payouts and return and where we invest our money. He says, if you invest in the world, you're probably gonna be left with an ash heap. And it's gonna burn down. Or, or maybe your gold will lose its value and now it's a paperweight, turn into moth food, or, or maybe it just evaporates into nothing. Right? There are no guarantees here if you invest exclusively on earth. And even if you do, even if you do experience some sort of success with investments, there's always a finite amount, right? You get you invest $100 and you get $1,000 back. That means you only got $1,000 to work with here. That, that's, that's a limited, a finite amount of money. But Jesus says, hey, there's another option in which, in which you can invest in. It's in, in heaven, in Matthew uh, 6, verse 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And verse 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
Now here, what Jesus is showing us, this, this investment opportunity is zero risk, astronomical reward. Zero risk, astronomical reward. Now what Jesus is saying, that, that when we invest in heaven, that investment re- remains eternally unthreatened and it has a stupid high return rate. See, in, in heaven, it, it, when it crosses the, the threshold from our finite time here on earth and, and the threshold of eternity, our money does as well. Right, the $1,000 on earth is only worth $1,000 on earth, but $1,000 invested in, in heaven becomes eternal. Right? It, it doesn't, it's not finite, it's eternal itself. It keeps re- resurfacing and re, uh, reaccumulating itself. Now, t- to invest in heaven and not in earth requires patience. That's something that we're not good at in this microwave culture where we want it on demand, we want it right now, instant gratification. To, to invest eternally, to invest in heaven requires us to have a long-term investment strategy in mind where we have to think beyond this life and into eternity. Now, I, I got a slide up here that I want to show you because the, the tendency is, you see that dot, that, that represents your life. It's, it's a finite amount of time. And so often we're spent, we spend our time investing uh, in that finite amount of time when God's saying, hey, when you put your money in heaven, you're investing in eternity that goes on and on and on. It lasts forever. But the question here is, how then do we invest in heaven? I'm just going to tell you, it's a bad idea to, to cut a check, put an envelope, and write heaven on it. Like, it's not going to get there. That's not, not the way it's going to work. Investing in heaven means investing in what is eternal, what is going to last forever. Now, that means what we're investing in is God, his people, his mission. Those three things are eternal things, that what are, ha- what are here will carry on into the future. And so what is ever used for his mission, for the advancement of the church, of the gospel, breaks the threshold of finiteness. And extends into the eternal realm. Now, at this point, people are like, man, it sounds like you're not really laying out sort of advantages for me here, any of the benefits that you were talking about, how God's money is best used to help me. Because it sounds like I'm just giving money at this point. (laughs) What's the gain? How is it that God's money can best help me? And I just want to show you, if you haven't seen it, there, there are two Huge benefits. When, when John Rockefeller died, somebody asked him at the somebody asked at his funeral, right? How much did he leave behind? The answer, all of it. Right? One of the most wealthy men, right? There, the whole plaza in New York is named after him. one of the most wealthy men uh, of his time period, and accumulated all of this wealth, and yet not a single penny went along with him when he died. And that's why we don't see any U-Hauls following hearses. It doesn't happen. You can't take it with you. Again, Randy Alcorn has a quote that's incredibly helpful. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. See, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, lay up 
for yourselves treasures in heaven. You see, the, the, for yourselves. Now, when you give, it, it should be selfless. But there's also the kickback. There's also a reward that when you give, because you are laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's exactly the language Jesus uses. Now, obviously, we have to spend money on stuff in order to live. But what he's saying is don't spend it all here. Send it forward. Again, how, how do we send it forward? How do we see that it reaches our heavenly bank accounts? Every dollar given to advancing the mission of the church, every dime you invest in your discipleship, Porterbrook, Every sacrifice you make for the kingdom of God, every good deed, every act of service, every time you use your giftings and your capacities to, to serve God and glorify God and to serve other people, every time you cut your tithe check, that's eternal currency being paid forward and deposited in your heavenly bank account, I investing in what is eternal. Now the question becomes here, are you investing wisely? See, that, that was the question that the master had for his servants. What, what, what have you done with my money? Are, are you taking God's money that he's entrusted with you? Are you, are you giving consistently and sacrificially? Right? Are, you, are you routinely investing in your, your, your heavenly bank account? Or are you just putting it towards stuff that you're going to lose in death? See, is Jesus going to look at you and your money and your bank account and where you've spent all of your money throughout your life and say, well done. You've been, you've been faithful. And if so, he said, here's the, here's the reward. Here's the benefits. Come and enter the joy of your master. Now, that's the first one. So we're, we're paying it forward. Right? We're letting our money go before us in eternity. The second benefit of how God's money is best used to help us is found in verse 21. It says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Now, Billy Graham used to say, give me five minutes with a man's checkbook and I can tell you exactly what he worships. Because right? it's this idea that money, our money flows to what we worship, what our heart is set on. But the opposite is true. That's the way that Jesus says it here in verse 21. He's saying that money, your money, has steering power for your heart. That your heart will follow your money. Now, this is... Whenever I'm talking about money, it's like, you know, oh, people, oh, I want to give. I have the desire to give and to be a generous person, but my heart's not in it. So I, I just don't do it. Now, that, that, that's the one Bible verse people know when it comes to money. It's like, God loves a cheerful giver. Well, not cheerful, so I guess God doesn't love me. I'm not going to give. But Jesus is actually telling us the antidote to our heart not being in giving, to, to to blessing, to being sacrificial, 
The antidote to that scenario is to give first and your heart will follow. Do you realize? To give first, to put your money where you want your heart to be. That, That is an incredible benefit. Now, if you're not doing that, if you're not saying, hey, I want my money to be here, and so I'm going to, or I want my heart to be here, so I'm going to put my money here and, and trust that God's going to allow my heart to follow. If you're not doing that, then you're just cementing your heart in other things where your money is already going to, right? You're, you're sort of being apathetic. You're not taking control and responsibility for your own heart in that matter. And if that's the case, you'll never grow in generosity. And that's not just true of money. Think think about how this plays out in missional community. If you don't invest your time and your relational capital and emotional capital, if you don't even invest your resources in a group of people that you believe God has put around you to walk and to pursue Jesus with, then your heart isn't going to grow for those people. But if we invest our time, prayer, meals, playing together, if we invest our emotions and relationships, then, then your heart is naturally going to grow for people. And what happens is that you're able to live into the calling that God has called you to, to love your neighbor as yourself, to practice the one another's, to share burdens with one another, to care for one another, to pray for one another, all of the things that Jesus commands us to do in the context of Christian community. I think there, there, are one, there are two common responses that we have to this idea that God, money, money belongs to God. All of, everything under, under the stars belongs to God. And that I'm supposed to use it in a way that glorifies God, but it's also for my own good. Now, I think that, here's the first response that I think that's pretty common. I just can't do that. I can't do it. It sounds nice, but, but I, I, I can't do it because when you get down to it, we just love our things, our money. Or maybe it's not even just money. It's, it's the way that money provides you a, a layer of comfort and stability. The way, the way money uh, provides you some sort of status or power. It's like I just love those things too much that I can't see myself parting from that. Now, the other approach to this would be to say, sure, I can do this, right? To, to, to take this sort of biblical counsel, this advice, and say, yeah, I can do this. And then we, what happens is we, we twist this into some sort of financially-based, works-based religion, that I'm just going to do it. I, I'm going to, to put my money in heaven. And then you know, you know, when I put my money in heaven, that means that I'm going to end up in heaven. And it just doesn't work out that way. The reality is you can give away all of your money to, your church, to the church when you, when you pass away, and there's no guarantee that, that that generous gift is going to solidify your place in heaven because there is the cover charge to get into heaven is too high for you to pay. There's no dollar amount. There's no, um, no source or wealth of good works that you can stack up and say, here's my ticket into heaven. The only way to access what you're storing up in heaven is 
through faith in Jesus. See, getting into heaven, which is even, isn't even really, I mean, we just went through Revelation. I hope you understand, like, getting into heaven isn't the, the main goal here. It's being with Jesus. But, but being with Jesus in, in heaven isn't based upon how good of a steward you are, how much money you've given away. So your place in heaven is based on what Jesus has done with his riches. Again, while Paul's writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, remember, everything belonged to him. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. See, what gets you to heaven is Christ's ultimate investment of his life and his blood shed to benefit you. 2 Corinthians 8 tells us that God broke the bank in order to offer us, you and me, the vast riches of heaven. And if you believe that, if you believe that Jesus, based upon grace and grace alone, has given you heavenly riches, the, the ability to be with him in eternity, then you'll want to invest there because that's the way God's money best helps you. But this is also, it's, it's not just selfish. That's, that's not a, it's not a selfish way to think about it. Because in, in, in you investing in heaven, that's one of the ways that you help others. Right? That, that's the way you mobilize the church to carry out its mission. That's the way you help people in your mission community live on mission. So other people can get in on God's generosity in Christ as well. See, when we come to the table this morning, we see... The body of Christ broken in the bread. The blood of Christ spilled. Guys, that, that is a, a reminder that God broke the bank. His generosity far exceeds whatever we could muster up. God gave it his all for us, for our benefit. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for what you have done in the gospel and, and saving us and pouring out all the riches of heaven in order or that we might enter into your kingdom and enjoy. And Father, I pray that as, as citizens who are destined for heaven based upon our profession of faith, knowing that Jesus paid it all, I pray, Father, that you give us a, a heart of generosity that mirrors yours, that, that is striving to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust and thieves cannot steal or destroy. And Father, would you be glorified in, we, in, in us seeing our resources and our finances correctly, that they are yours, and we are stewards of those things. And what a gift, Father, that, to know that in your generosity, we are deeply and profoundly benefited. We thank you, God, for Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen.